A lot of fool's gold in the NFC. Are the Vikings fool's gold? Are we recording this? We're, yeah, we're gonna, that's my intro to the Axis Vikings podcast. <laughs> Vikings start 4-1 and one after a 29-22 win over the Chicago Bears. Feels like they escaped another game with a win. We're going to talk about uh, Kirk Cousins' day, Justin Jefferson's day, uh, Amir Smith-Marset's day <laughs> yeah. in this game. Uh, we were just talking before the podcast. I almost feel bad for him the way this one ended. He gets the ball punched out by Cameron Dantzler, and Dantzler says after the game, we had some good intel. He liked to play loose with that football. It, well, I was going to say that watching the replay of that, it reminded me of, well, two things about that play brought back uh, the Vikings' all-time rushing leader. The, the way he was carrying the ball and the fact that he was trying to get more yards when he didn't need to do it, it reminded me of the uh, – 2016 wildcard playoff game when Adrian Peterson was trying to get a couple extra yards after getting a first down and got the ball punched out at the Vikings' own 15-yard line, and the Seahawks got their first touchdown of that game. So that felt like one of those types of moments from Amir Smith-Marset and the type of moment that led the Vikings to cut him before the season because they saw a lot of those things from him. As it turned out today, that and the block in the back that saved Justin Fields' touchdown – uh, helped win in the game. Yeah, we saw Smith Marset fumble a punt return or two before he got cut by the Vikings. Ends up being a big reason why they lose this game or win this game. The Bears lose this game. Um, Jim, throughout just stretches of it, um, obviously at the beginning they start so strong, but through that second half you're thinking they can't possibly blow this game, can they? And then the Bears take that late lead uh, in part with Justin Fields um, hucking up a ball. So, I don't know. It was just interesting to see them kind of have to fight through even this one after a 21-3 to lead. Pretty ridiculous, really. I mean, because we know the Bears are not a good passing offense. Uh, Dave Montgomery had a bad ankle, so they didn't really have their normal running game. You had a 21-3 lead at home with a dynamic, what should be a dynamic pass rush on this kind of turf. There's no way the Bears should be in that game. And Dantzler, I mean – so often we can it's easy to overblow you know, one player's performance. They're dependent on other players, et cetera, et cetera. The dude stopped a two-point conversion. That's two. He I forgot about that he one. He saved uh, you know by flopping, and he admitted uh, that he flopped on by flopping and drawing the penalty on Amir Smith Marset. Uh, he saved him four points because they went from a touchdown to a field goal. So that's six points he saved him, and then he might have saved him you know, a Hail Mary or a, a clutch touchdown at the end. I mean, he might have saved them a whole slew of points. And this game should have never come down to Cameron Dantzler needing to make a great play. You're up 21-3 against a terrible team. Well, and you could say, I mean, that's the second week in a row you could have said that sentence. This game should never have had to come down to Cameron Dantzler making a great play. Right. Of course, makes the breakup in London last week to beat the Saints in a game that the Vikings could have pulled away with late in the first half. So, yeah, a lot of things that happened at the end of this game – Probably should have never been necessary. Certainly after most of the first half, we're sitting there looking up what records Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson just broke. Yeah, 17 straight completions for Kirk to start that game. Justin Jefferson has 10 catches in the first half alone, finishes with a career-high 12 catches in this game. But part of the reason why they uh, gave up as much as they did in the second half in terms of points was because Justin Jefferson was held to just two catches in that second half. Um, as special teams really struggled too. Everybody got their Matt Daniels features out of the way. Just in times for the special teams, including us today, to have a bad, including us to have a one bad game so far. They've obviously been great for the Vikings through their three and one start, but to get to four and one, they had to fight through some really bad special teams, including a 15-yard punt 
that set up a short field for the Bears to march down and score one of those touchdowns. Um, they just weren't getting much help from that phase of things, and that set up the defense to give up a few short fields and that offense to really kind of stall out on that connection to Jefferson. And Kirk Cousins making a very Kirk-like interception that contributed to one of those short fields. Um, and Kirk had mentioned after the game that it was him letting previous plays and previous coverages that were similar bleed over to that one and thinking that the defender was going to react in a way that he did not. And Kirk threw it right to him for a pick. Um, so just a bunch of things kind of coming together for them to not seal this game. You wanted to see a blowout, right, to feel good about where the Vikings yeah. were at, and we just didn't get Yeah, I, I think – it, it's one of those that they're going to talk about being resilient and they're going to talk about finding a way to win. Yes, but at some point, you need to go bury some of these teams that aren't that good. I guess the counter to that would be, or do you? Because a lot of these games come down to that. And you know, a lot of Harrison Smith talked about it at length after the game, You know, both in a group, and I kind of hung around to talk about him a little bit more afterwards. This team last year, they were one and three, and Mike Zimmer is sitting there telling us, you guys look at stats too much. We're a good team. I know we're a good team. Kevin Stefanski told me we have a good team, so you guys should also say that we have a good team. And we're like, dude, you're one and three. It's not a good team if you're one and three. Your your guy, Bill Parcells, says you are what your record says you are. So they can also lean on that and say they're four and one when they haven't been that good in recent years and they're finding ways to win games late. The question, I guess, is are you – going to be able to keep this up when you're needing things like boneheaded mistakes and great plays from Cameron Dantzler late and uh, in some cases calls that go your way uh, including last week in London to win these games is that sustainable I think is probably the big question everybody has at this point the question is what's the question if the question is can this be a playoff team then this is all great news. They're four and one. The schedule looks really soft. I don't. I'm not. You may sure. not have to be good to be a player. I'm not team. sure they can avoid being winning twelve games and contending for the division title and going to the playoffs. If the question is the old age Vikings question, is this the team? Is this the team that's going to do something special? Uh, we got to see a lot more. Yeah, we really do. Um, and Harrison Phillips said something after the game. I was listening to him talk, and he he said, "Look, on defense, we have a lot to clean up. But if you have a lot to clean up at four and one, you're in a pretty good spot." And saying that even though it's been a pretty ugly 4-1 up to this point against two lowly division foes in Detroit and Chicago for two of these last three wins, and then a Saints team that was really beaten up, um, they've still managed to win three one-score games back-to-back-to-back. And it's set up, I saw Ziggy Wolf coming out, we saw him coming out of the locker room, and he gave like a very exhausted fist pump. And it just kind of seemed to really illustrate where this Well, he played hard today. Right, he he really played hard, but it seemed to illustrate where this team was at. Uh, because if they're 4-1, they feel great about where they're at, but boy, if they didn't have to sweat through all of it. Uh, is this 4-1 any different, or does it matter that it's any different than if it is the Giants, the Cowboys, these other 4-1 and teams? Can you tell at this point who's a contender in the NFC, I guess is my question. Well, it's, it's strange because you have teams like the Giants, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Vikings sitting above the teams that everybody would have said at the beginning of the year are the best teams in the NFC, the Buccaneers, the Rams, the Packers, that have the the accomplished quarterbacks, but you know it's uh, if you're there at four and one, it, it's when you have seven teams in the NFC that are going to get in. I mean, you look at it with the Vikings at this point, and you go six and six the rest of the way. You're ten and seven. Like that's going to get you in. So, um, are you good? 
I don't know. Does it matter? Does the NFL care? I'm not sure that they do at this point. I mean, if, if you get in with a bunch of other teams that aren't that good and you get hot at the right time, I mean, they uh, they don't take anything away from you for getting into the playoffs and winning games, even if it wasn't aesthetically pleasing to do so. I think the two great things for this team being 4-1, and one, one is nobody's giving the coach side eye, right? You're 4-1. and one. Even if you screwed up time, clock management in week four, even if you your team almost blew a lead in week five, it means O'Connell still has credibility. Nobody's giving him funny looks when he tries to tell him how to do something. The other thing is the Packers are three and two, and Rodgers is moping around, and they don't have receivers. Calling out Jair Alexander after the game today, it looked like, too. Yeah, I mean, it's just the Packers – have not done what we're accustomed to seeing this group do, which is take command of the division. The division looks like it's there. So four and one, is, you know, it it means that the Vikings are going to have a chance down the stretch to win the division. They could, especially if Green Bay plays the way that they did today against the Giants. They showed the end of that game because it was in the morning at U.S. Bank Stadium on the scoreboard, and that was as unified as I've seen Vikings and Bears fans when yeah. they were cheering Green Bay to lose that game. The one thing they can all agree on. And the PA announcer playing the horn as Green Bay has a fourth down incompletion in that one. Uh, defensively, we should talk about the fact that they let Justin Fields in this running game into it and had so many short fields. I don't know how much we can take away from it too much, but Jim, you brought up some points about Cameron Dantzler, and obviously we saw him what he did at the end of that Saints game too. Um, it seems like he's coming into his own at least a little bit, but you know, you're still going to ride those ups and downs <laughs> with him. But it's good for the Vikings that they seem to have a kid who can at least show up and make some game-changing plays opposite Patrick Peterson. Because I think that was probably one of the biggest question marks I had going into the season was, is this going to be the same guy that gets beaten left and right? And we've seen that sometimes, but he's also stood up and held his own other times like today. Right. And, and there aren't that many cornerbacks in the league who just shut people down. It, it's a, it's, when it happens, we all notice it and we all talk about it. Most cornerbacks are win some, lose some, lose some, win some, and how do you come out in the end? And Dantzler, he, he's, been, he's been a slugger. You know, he's, he's hung in there. He's made big plays. It's really fascinating to talk to Patrick Peterson about Cam Dantzler, though, because they seem like almost opposites. You know, Peterson, savvy, veteran, has found a way to stay in the league even when his, his talents have slipped a little bit, a leader. And then Dantzler just seems happy-go-lucky young guy, happy to be in the league. But it feels like, and you guys are around the team more than I am, but in my conversations, especially today with him, it feels like Peterson's gotten enough perspective into Dantzler's head that Dantzler is able to take advantage of his skills. Well, I mean, Ed Peterson talked about it. After the game in London last week, he said, if you ask him, he said, me, he and I talk all the time. He said, we're watching film a couple times a week together. We are talking on the sideline during games. We're talking during practice. Peterson, I think, has taken it upon himself in some ways to kind of point Dantzler in the right direction. Because Peterson, let's remember, last year after they lose that game in Detroit, Peterson went on his podcast and basically said this was on Dantzler. I mean, because everybody was kind of like, well, is it on Xavier Woods or is it on Dantzler? And you could kind of say it's on both of them. Zimmer, shockingly, did not provide a lot of clarity to that question. Uh, Peterson basically came out and said, hey, Cam played too far back, which, you know, our eyes could all tell us that was kind of the thing. But it, it means something more when somebody that has access to the call sheet says, no, this is what was supposed to happen. So I think when Peterson has done that, I'm sure he's had that conversation with Dantzler privately, too. I don't think he's going to come out and say that publicly if they haven't talked about it in person. And I think 
now having him make those plays, he he was really excited in London last week when I asked him about that play that Dantzler made at the end. And he he just said loved it, loved it, and kind of went into the the blow by blow of how Dantzler did it. And you could almost see just the the fact that he played it with the right technique. Peterson was as excited about that as anything else because he's starting to see the progress that comes with some of those moments going your way. And I I do think there's a sense of pride for him in whatever degree he has been able to impart some of that technique, some of that refinement in a Dantzler. You're starting to see it show up a little bit more. Yeah, that that development uh, of Dantzler's is huge, especially considering the fact that that rookie class of theirs so far is almost entirely on injured reserve. Uh, except yeah. for talking about the 2022 Ing- rookie class at Ingram, yeah, yeah this rookie class because you got Lewis Seen, who, who uh, according to Kevin O'Connell, arrived back in Minnesota on Saturday night after he had his leg um, repaired uh, in London. Uh, but Andrew Booth has been out four games. Ty Chandler apparently broke a thumb in this game and is out. Uh, Caleb Evans is in the concussion protocol uh, after recovering an onside kick in the third quarter of this game. Um, I think that's four of them. Am I missing anybody who's injured? I don't think so. <laughs> just among the rookie class, just among their draft picks. Ed Ingram's been solid. Uh, but Ed Ingram has been somewhat somewhat decent pretty, um, for them so far. But uh, they need that, though, in terms of the development of some of these younger guys when the second-year class, obviously half of them were cut yeah. in the last round. More than half. And then this rookie class has uh, not contributed a whole lot uh, for one reason or another. Um, what else should we talk about from this game? The receiver they got – in the first round of the 2020 class is, uh, is pretty good. Yeah, Justin Jefferson, yeah. I suppose, 12 catches, 158. Was it 58 or 54 yards? I guess, yeah, 54. I think it's 54. 12 catches, 154 yards. Uh, Kirk Cousins basically said it was just automatic, not just to Jefferson, but to everybody, because he went 17 for 17. I suppose we didn't even mention he breaks the franchise record for most completions uh, in a row to start a game, uh, with eight of those, I think, of the 17 to Jefferson. Yes. Did the Bears just not get the memo, I guess, that, hey, we, should, we might want to double this guy? It hasn't really mattered. I mean, he's done this to them just about every time they've played him. I mean, it's four times in five games he's had at least 100 yards. And Cousins said – Kevin Seifert pointed this out from ESPN's test and information. I, I, think, I think they have extra access to the NFL next-gen stats stuff beyond what most of us plebes get. Um, and it, he had a stat from them basically saying – that on none of Cousins' 41 throws, which includes the interception, of course, was there a Bears defender within a yard of a Vikings receiver. So, And Cousins said it after the game that like I wasn't having to rip it into tight windows for those completions. You had a lot of guys running open, and a lot of them were my first read was wide open, and I took it. It's easy. A lot of it, yeah, the Bears just weren't anywhere near Vikings receivers. And I, I think uh, K.J. Osborne, I think, said it to you after the game that – they're lining up in a lot of single high, but then shifting into two man, you know, a lot of two man, a lot of two high shell stuff. They left a lot of room. I mean, kind of like what we've seen the Vikings do at times, where they left a lot of room for Cousins to hit easy completions, and and he certainly didn't have much trouble connecting on those. Heck, even Jefferson hit one to Dalvin Cook on a double pass, one of the two trick plays the Vikings pulled today. I thought that uh, of Cousins' first whatever seventeen completions, whatever it was, I thought he made one outstanding throw. I thought the throw uh, where he hit Jefferson and he threw it 
right on target, but also flat, oh, enough, ball. flat enough yeah. and hard enough that he got it there before the safety got there. I thought that was a beautiful throw. Yeah, I dropped that one on the I bucket. thought the rest were system throws. I mean, they were, hey, he was accurate. Give him full credit. He read it right. He threw it to the right guy. He threw it at the right place. And he didn't make any receivers stretch for the ball, so good on him for that. But I, I see, just see a trend. I think this offense is really good when they're in their script, and they're really good when they're in desperation. In between, they're really iffy. You know, they're good early. They almost always score on the first drive. When they're running plays they've been practicing all week, they're really crisp. And then at the end of the game where they got to st- just stop thinking and just throw to the open guy, they're really good. In between where Kirk's got to go, well, should I do this or should I do that? That's where they, they bog down. Yeah, it's like what gets you out of that? I mean, you know, we've seen that a lot. Is that play calling? Is that execution being different or better? I mean, what, what gets you out of that funk in the middle? I think it's uh, – you know, they listen, they – they do a really good job scouting. They do a really good job game planning and drawing up plays to work against certain defensive looks. I think as soon as the defense adjusts to them and creates a little bit of doubt, uh, Cousins gets really cautious and the, the offense slows down. It is interesting that yeah, Cousins has talked about how they use that tempo and, and not, not necessarily just a hurry up, but tempo in terms of hurrying up to the line and then slowing down, and then you'll see them kind of read things and adjust trying to basically keep the defense on its heels and waiting for them to kind of dictate things, almost maybe maintaining that momentum you're talking about that they seem to lose at times. Um, yeah. Maybe that helps them uh, kind of maintain that. I'm not sure what the stats are in terms of how they perform out of that compared to just straight out of their huddle. But I mean, anecdotally speaking, I, I've just noted it from my own charting. They, they had a bunch of that last week where they were kind of, whether it was hurry up, true hurry up or – hurry up to the line so that a, a defense can't sub, and then you can read it from there. They hit three or four plays in a row on, on a I think, their third drive against the Saints last week, and we saw some of it today too. So it does work, but, yeah, the question, I guess, is how do they continue it when defenses start to play things differently? And, and uh, yeah, maybe it's not quite as easy for Cousins to just get back there and, and let it fly. Well, we'll find out. Next week, it'll be a little bit tougher test down in Miami where the Vikings will take on the Dolphins. That is what we'll be be talking to you about next time on Wednesday when we preview Sunday's game, next Sunday's game in Miami. Please check out StarTribune.com for all of your news. Until then.